you are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by SingleOps, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Welcome back to another episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. My name is Jay Worth, and I'm very, very fortunate to be joined today by Phil Sims, the CEO of Integrity Tree Service. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Great to connect with you. Absolutely. I'm really excited for this episode. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Phil, one of the things we like to do right on the front end of every show to provide some immediate value for our listeners is just get the guest perspective. What, in your opinion, are three common threads you see in successful tree care companies? Great question. Top three items I see. The first that comes to mind for me is a company with leadership that wrestles with how to engage with and lead people well. Leadership mm-hmm. is an undying challenge that humiliates you and <laughs> consumes you and challenges you to continue to be and do better. And I think a commitment to leading people well is uh, critical for anybody to go the distance in, in any endeavor they're trying to solve in the marketplace. Second, a company with passion for what they do. I think passion is contagious. It captures the head and the heart and inspires people to push through boundaries and push through limits that as individuals would limit them about the collective group and passion collectively. Mm-hmm. And then number three, a company committed to listening and improving and a regular reflection that we have as a leadership team is on we versus they and words definitely matter. They is oftentimes used when you want to create distance from a problem. And so they can be very contagious the, the they mentality, it can, uh, it can really separate a leadership team from the boots on the ground. And it's, uh, I'm not saying this nobly like we do this perfectly. We're far from perfect, but we, we prowl for the they mentality. And then we mm-hmm. is a very common word used, especially with sports teams when they're winning. Our team, we, there's this inclusive language and this psychology of yes. wanting to be a part yeah. of those who are winning. And so, I think we needs to be also a critical part of failure. We need to do better and we need mm. to listen. We need to improve. And, and it's a challenge. It requires a lot of emotional energy to do well. But, but those are the three to me is, is leadership that wrestles with how to engage and lead a company that has passion. And I really wanted to have that third item as a distinction, even though the Venn diagram overlaps quite a bit in all three of these. I think they're all individually important and the the commitment to listening and improving is is really critical. I love those. Those are all wonderful. And I can't wait to dive into those. Actually, I had some notes based on these answers before, but now I've got some additional stuff that I'm typing in as we're talking here. So this is going to be fun. Can you just give the listeners a sense of your history in the industry, how you got into it, how you became CEO of Integrity, and then talk about a little bit about Integrity Tree Services and uh, who you guys are, what you specialize in, what you do. Sure, sure. Uh, Born and raised in West Michigan. I first encountered Integrity Tree through frustration with college. I dropped out of college and I was looking for something to do with my time full time. (laughs) I grew up splitting and stacking wood with my grandpa, who was highly influential in my life. And the act of working outdoors around wood and uh, breathing fresh air was exactly what I felt I wanted to return back closer to. And when I connected with Integrity Tree, 
was offered a role on a residential crew and did that for quite some time. I also spent time on our utility crews working on transmission systems, did some herbicide application, and then decided after a few years working full-time to re-enroll back in college. And so then I shifted into more of a part-time role working around our shop here in Granville, Michigan, parts running and power washing. So I've seen a lot of areas and dynamics of the business. After enrolling full-time at Grand Valley and having the classwork hit me harder, I transitioned full-time to focusing on school. And post-graduation, I focused in accounting and finance. So post-graduation, I went into public accounting and did that for six years. And right about when my soul was about to die and I could handle (laughs) not another second of that, I was still in touch with the former owner founders of, of Integrity Tree and they offered me a role in a financial capacity to come help out with the financial infrastructure of the business. We had landed some large utility contracts and uh, this was 2015 and had a lot of opportunity to continue to grow into our shoes on those contracts with those relationships. But we didn't have the ability to navigate scale very well. And we had a lot of really, really great operators, but there was, there was a missing skill set that the, the former owners had identified and mm. they offered me that opportunity. So I hired in in a financial capacity and spent two years as the financial controller and CFO respectively each, each a year. So two years in total. And then in 2017, both former owners wanted to go a different direction with their time, talent and efforts. And while still maintaining a connection to the business and wanting to be involved, they, they desired to bring in a professional management team. And so I was offered the opportunity to grab the reins as CEO in 2017. And I did that in January. So this coming January will be five years in the CEO capacity. Just to talk a little bit about size and scale of integrity, 16 years ago, we were about 20 team members strong. 2015, we were about 45 to 50 team members strong. And today we are uh, actually exactly 216. We watched that that closely uh, as of today. Uh, Our focuses are in the utility space primarily, but we also offer some land and lot clearing scopes of services in West Michigan. Wow. That's a lot. Now, do you have, are there offices and branches in other locations yeah. or is it? Yeah. So we're, we're full-time year round in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, and Colorado. We oftentimes find ourselves in Kentucky and um, I failed to mention, we also service department of transportation and department of highway uh, government institutions as well. And so in, in many ways, we're nomadic. We don't have a lot of bricks and mortar as a company. <laughs> And we, we follow the work where, where it leads us. And um, we have a lot of fun doing it. Wow, that's incredible. And thanks so much for giving us a little bit of the, the backstory there. Yeah. I think that's a really good background, a really good segue. I think to much of our, many of our listeners, much of our audience could relate to six years of accounting probably being a bit soul crushing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. I don't know how you made it that long. Uh, <laughs> and I'm even a guy that like, I consider myself, I'm not a numbers guy, probably in terms of financials, but I'm a numbers guy in terms of data. Like I like yeah. to, I like to see the data and make decisions that way. And so, but that just, that's a lot of six years, man. Whew. Okay. You talked about, um, 
one of the things that successful companies do, you said a company that that wrestles with how to engage and lead people well. In your opinion, can you define what does leading well look like? That's a really great question. Yeah, a little softball for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leading well to me means, it, it first means being good at listening. And I think my philosophy on business is there are enough trees out there to cut. There are enough pruning jobs on this earth that as an employer, we, we don't need to be thinking about protecting our turf and applying the Irish Warren clan model of, of, of working together. And I understand there's friendly, there needs to be competition. It's, it's a part of, of, right. of capitalism. It, it helps us all get better to land the plane on leading people specifically well and, and try to connect the dots there. I have the same philosophy with people where people should keep their resume updated. They should pursue the best opportunity and to lead well means to create a more compelling opportunity at integrity than somewhere else. And to create an environment where people feel better having worked here. And I think that's what leading people well means. And I know there are some amazing opportunities in our market space and it may look a little different at a different employer and, and it should because there should be opportunities for employers to engage with the right personalities. Integrity tree is not for everyone, just like other employers aren't for everyone. And, and leadership is about creating that environment in a distinct enough manner for people to say, yeah, this is, this is where I want to sign up to work and where I want to create value with other human beings that are, that are aligned. I love that. That makes just a ton of sense to me. I like the the phrase in creating a more compelling opportunity here than, yeah. than somewhere else, continually working on the business so that, you know, you're the best uh, available option, you know, in your, in your coworkers' minds. Um, think, let me just add one additional thing. Yeah. I think, I think there's this competitive nature that's, that's really, really healthy, but the sword cuts both ways. We're in the absence of clarifying what that compelling opportunity is. You, you want to be the best at everything, right? You, there's, there's kind of this inherent drive, at least for type A, hard charging personalities to say, I, I have, I'm highly confident and I can be good at everything. But I think good leadership is, no, I, I'm not good at everything. I'm actually really bad at these things. And I, we as a business are not good at everything. We're really bad at these things. And our industry is better if we understand what we're good and bad at. If we want to be all things to all people, we fail. And we've We've gone through seasons like that where that's been our, our aspiration and, and it didn't produce great results. I couldn't agree with you anymore. Yeah, I think knowing your limitations and being self-aware, I think really sets apart good leadership from, from mediocre or poor leadership, right? Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You talked about leadership that wrestles with how to engage people too. What does an engaged team member look like in your mind? I think it's two things. I think engagement to me means a deeper understanding around the fact that you lead the whole human. When you lead someone in business, it's not just this compartmentalized version of a human being. So I think engagement means you understand enough of their life story to tailor your approach in a more authentic manner. And I think I would have stopped my answer there had we spoken a couple years ago, but I think engagement also looks like accountability as well mm. because I think people want to do a great job. They want to know when they've done a great job and they want to know what a great job looks like. And I think in the absence of clarity around, around that, 
engagement is not complete. So I think it needs, I think it needs a interpersonal dynamic, but I think it also needs an element of rigor that ensures that um, individuals and collectively we play a little better than the Detroit Lions in business. And, and I think <laughs> that's, we need that for engagement to be complete. No, I, I love the, the two sentiments there, you know, engagement. I, and I love the way you framed it because it looks like on one end, it's engagement is accountability, right? Like that's the responsibility of the team member that when they're engaged, they, they lean into that accountability, right? Like they're, they're taking ownership for results. But the flip side of that is engagement looks like responsibility on, on the side of leadership too. You have to be aware that they're leading in an, an entire complex human being and not just a robot that goes out and, and cuts trees and comes back to the shop at the end of the day. Yeah. I love that. I think that's great. Those are great answers. Are there specific initiatives that you guys have tried or you have tried in your time as a leader there to engage your existing team members? And if so, what's worked well, what hasn't worked? Um, give us a little, <laughs> little yeah. insight there, peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I guess where I would start is I feel like in many ways, my leadership journey has been, if it were a book, it'd be nine chapters on what not to do. And the 10th chapter would be, I haven't screwed that one up yet. So, <laughs> you know, having laid that context, yeah, all, all of ours are, <laughs> man, having laid that context, I, I think where when I took the role of CEO, I came in with a perspective of, I need to be accessible to everybody. I need to listen to everybody. I need to be a leader who really deeply shows that I care by, by freely giving of my time to any and all. And while that aspiration was very, very noble, something we were reflecting on even before jumping on here to record is, is empathy and leadership. And I think when you're empathetic as a leader, your heart causes more issues than, and pain than your head does. And by opening myself up to just the, the multitude of, 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 again, leading complex human beings, everyone has an issue or a challenge. That's just, that's just life. The initiative of the CEO talking to anyone at any time at all, you know, in all avenues of communication almost crushed me and mentally and emotionally was more than, than I could bear. It also was highly prideful of me and it really underneath as I reflect on what I was trying to do is there's this hero complex of, you know, it's under the guise of being available, but mm. I was not behaving like I had a team. And uh, I had to back up and vulnerably walk through that with my team. And, and we had to re-level set what that looks like. So that's, I would say that's one, and I didn't call it an initiative of, you know, Phil's available to everybody initiative, but, but that was, that was definitely a misstep. Um, and then, and then I would also just say we've grown quite a bit. And, and I go back to the days of uh, 20 guys in a shop all huddling on Monday morning to hear how the previous week was financially, where we screwed up and what we need to focus on. And, and just the ease of communication was actually just a really beautiful season in our business. And I think it's also a large reason that we, we grew and that we were attractive and you get to a size now where we've got four regions and trying to figure out how to do that, do business in that way in today's environment, being nomadic is, is a real challenge. So from an initiative mm -hmm. standpoint, several of our communication endeavors that we're doing as a business are around trying to restore that. And I, I don't think we're there yet in full candor. We, we still have a lot of room to grow, but that is the aspiration of our company today. 
Uh, I love how insightful and, and considered your answers are. I think you're giving everybody <laughs> a lot to, yeah. to chew on, a lot to think through. I want to move on to passion. It was the next thing you said. So we've we've kind of talked about uh, leadership and, and how to engage people, things that have worked well or not worked well, like, hey, I'm going to take on everything myself. That didn't work as well. Moving on to passion, you said a company is, companies that are successful in our industry have a passion for what they do. You use the phrase in the opening, they capture the passion captures the head and the heart. How do you tell when a company is passionate when they're, when they've captured head and heart? How do you, what does that look like? I think that when human beings talk, businesses are like human beings. I think they have personalities and um, I think the personality in a business is it's as varied as the individual experiences people have. So meaning I'm saying one thing and I know that a foreman right now is creating an experience at integrity tree for someone else. And, and to the degree we're aligned and we're passionate, I think passion is what reconciles who we say we're going to be with how we actually behave. And if we're all aligned and we're passionate, there's, there's an internal drive to get from where we are today to where we want to be. And I really struggled for a couple of years with talking about, who we wanted to be because I knew of more examples than I could count that were either current or in the not so distant past that would make me a hypocrite to show up and say, this is what we want to do and who we want to be. I I knew in my audience, there were people that had exceptions for all of that. But then I just had this moment where I had to make a commitment to myself and say, I'll stand up here and I will look like a hypocrite, but this is where we're going and this is what we want to represent and this is who we want to be. And I, I'll just acknowledge that we aren't there. Let's just, let's just open that up and remove yes. that as a variable and let's not allow that to prevent communication from happening. So, you know, to me, passion is not this academic head to head conversation. It includes head and heart. And you can tell when you're talking to somebody and their head and their heart is involved in it. You can tell when just their head is involved in it. And there are some people that are all heart. And I think trying to figure out how to combine those two dynamics to really find balance, you, you have to have both. And, and I think, again, to reiterate, I think passion is what reconciles. Here's the vision for what we want to be and what we want to look like. And here's where we are. And it's going to take effort to get there. And that effort has to look like passion to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is definitely something you can tell when when someone's and and this is something we kind of talked about, I think maybe before we even started recording too. Like there's a difference between a leader who is empathetic because they're leading with head and heart, right? Um, versus someone who can just let other people's whatever roll off of them. Yeah. So I agree entirely. There's there you can you can certainly tell that difference. I loved what you said though. You said something about passion reconciles between like who we say we're going to be and, and where we, where we're going. It's the, yeah. Yeah. the connection there. And you talked about how, like you have to just, sometimes you can't be afraid of having that conversation because you know, there have been failures between where you want to go and where you currently are. Yeah. Um, I think that's really critical as a leader and just owning, like you said, Hey, we're not there yet, but this is the aspiration. This is where we're headed. And we want you to come with us. Like, yeah. What are companies, what are they doing behind the scenes to reconcile those two? Like how, how do, 
behind closed doors, like internally, how do companies reconcile this? What are they like? What indicates that a company has that passion and they're and they're wrestling those things out? I think you just came up with a mini podcast series or something of that nature, <laughs> to which I would be the first subscriber. How do they do that? I think that's why my first answer with the common threads was had included the word wrestles because mm. it's so it's so messy it's so messy when you start trying to do things with other human beings and yeah. uh, I mean I don't even get along with myself all the time you know what I'm saying and then and then you say hey we're gonna we're gonna do this at scale mm-hmm. we're gonna solve these problems at scale I think it just comes down to being honest about the realities and um, being succinct about what we need to work on. And I think it's that, that accountability portion. And I think, um, I think that businesses that have an open mind to listen to any and all in an organized way, not the way that I did it wrong initially are really, really well positioned to, to improve in, mm-hmm. in a way that, that is that reconciling effect of where we want to go and, and where we are today, because we spend too much of our time at work to be miserable all the time. And I yeah. think that passionate employees go, you know, I deserve better and everybody else around me deserves better. So we got to, we got to stop with the, they, <laughs> yeah. and it, one thing that I say, whenever I get an opportunity to connect with our crews, et cetera, is that, there are problems you are uniquely and distinctly frustrated by that I have no clue on. And it's, I don't, it's me not having a clue has nothing to do with whether I care or not. Mm-hmm. It, it has to do with the reality that if I show up and I tell you how to solve your problem, that's like a doctor writing a prescription before they ask the patient any questions. Right. And so you have to harness your unique frustrations in a manner that positions us to improve. And we need to conduct ourselves and communicate in a way that I'm talking utopia here because this is not real life, (laughs) but that you're positioning your communication in a way that allows us to listen and pivot and to make your reality better. And uh, you you were highlighting single ops and some of the things single single ops has done to make your reality better based Mm -hmm. on listening. And and um, I think that's that's really really critical. It's also really hard. It's exhausting. Yeah, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So correct me if I'm wrong here. It sounds like companies that are that are passionate in your mind internally, the thing that they're doing is they are working to reconcile maybe like at different levels of the organization this is the thing I need to get my job done. And I, and I need it because I care about my job and doing it well with what can we actually, how can we actually get to that place? Right. So like, Hey, I have this need, you know, you've asked me to, to, to perform up here and I'm performing right here right now. And there's a gap in between and in between that gap, there's, there's some kind of a blocker, right? There's something that's in the way. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of wrestling out. How do we remove that obstacle? How do we get around that obstacle? How do we, they're not content, I guess, to just let that obstacle be in the way between expected performance and where the performance level is at. Is that fair? Yeah, that, I think that's I think that's very fair. And, and another angle to come at this from is I was just introduced to the concept of leadership in the framework of knowers and learners. And what was introduced to me was a leader who is a knower 
And there are seasons where I think knowers are critical that, Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this now. We're going to do it this way because I've done it and it's worked and we need to mobilize and we need to go, let's go. And then there are the learners that have a mindset of, Hey, this is new territory. We're blazing a new path and, and we're better to the degree we have some collective dialogue and decision-making and, and we have an open mind and, and we're, we're inviting new ideas that we have not previously thought of. And just because it's new or foreign doesn't mean that we're going to discount it. Actually, quite the contrary. We want to explore why, why that doesn't exist in the marketplace and how to make that a reality and, and build the scaffolding around it. So I think, I think wrestling with those two dynamics is a challenge, especially when you deal with new experiences as a leader and you get a new leadership opportunity. And generally the narrative you have in your mind is somebody wants to follow me because I was really good at what I was doing. And so for people to be willing to follow me, I need to be really good at what I'm doing now, even though a lot of it's new and I have to have all the answers because that's the reason people follow me. That's, that's more of a, more of a knower. Whereas a learner goes, this is a new experience. I'm going to be better to the degree that I have an open mind and I'm asking questions. And, um, I'm not necessarily saying you always lead by consensus in that mindset, but I think you create an environment where trying to figure out how to balance that and, and wrestle with the messiness that's created by those dynamics is, is really, really critical both for, I'm speaking both to, you know, human beings and then for, for a business at large and how to unpack that and say that more succinct is, is a challenge. It's definitely a, a complex multi-layered problem to solve for that's ever changing. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like your third point was company committed to listening and improving is more of like that knower or excuse me, the, uh, the, the learner style that you're talking about. And that's also kind of like what we were talking about with the passion, like, Hey, there's an obstacle, there's a barrier. We're listening to you. There's this challenge. How do we, how do we improve by going around it, uh, through it, removing it, whatever you talked about that as a commitment to, to a we endeavor, a we culture. And you talked about we versus they also as part of that, that third point. So what does listening look like from a leadership standpoint? And the reason I'm asking this is we get some business owners, small businesses, or even when they get to a company your size, you got hundreds of employees, you get a CEO that says, I can't give my team everything they want or ask for. They, they either lack resources to do that or, you know, on the other side, maybe they have the resources. They just don't want to be seen as a doormat. They need some semblance of, you know, uh, not not be in a heavy-handed way, but like, hey, I make the final decisions here. They don't want to be perceived in a certain way. So, how do you how do you strike that balance? What does good listening look like from from the C level or or as an owner? And you're hitting me with some really good questions. Um, <laughs> that have so much nuance in my brain to them, at least I, I would say listening evolves with the company size and complexity because the same style, depending on the season or life cycle of the business that in one season may have served the company very well and been a critical element of, of its success has to iterate, has to evolve to, to meet the growing needs of the business. So to me, the way that I would, I would build that out logically is when an 
owner operator starts a business and they have an attractive personality, they're building a company in that season with people that like them and want to do well. And they like the problem that that person is trying to solve and they want to be a part of it. And there's self-worth and there's uh, passion involved in that endeavor. And then you get to a point where, you you know, in that season, you're, you're worried about payroll. You're worried about very basic needs and their critical needs to keep things going. And there's a, there's a, there's a joy in that season too. And there's, there's a, you're alive. And then you get to a point where you have to worry about licensing and regulation and compliance and insurance and, you know, planning for capital expenditures and meeting with bankers and, and your business evolves and you need people in place to do the, do the listening that you once did yes. to carry that on. And so now you're, now you as a leader are trusting that those coming on board and those you're delegating that authority to are as engaged as you are, or hopefully more in their own unique way. And then you get to a point where you have multi-regional interstate commerce and you have fleet dynamics that, mm. that come into play and you have really complex contracts and you have, you know, unfortunate legal challenges that, that you bump your shin on and you have, you have all mm-hmm. these things that, that then are introduced at a, at, a, at a new season and in a new life cycle to your business. And, and yet again, you're depending on delegated authority and decision-making and listening to happen really, really well. And you find out how good the quality of your work is as your business grows, because it's, mm-hmm. you get feedback immediately commensurate with how satisfied people are and how well they're listened to. Right. And if you grow rapidly, how do you usually solve for business needs? You solve for them operationally. And so people with technical skill sets get put in places that they, they aren't fully equipped to, to fill the other end of the obligation, which is a part right. of removed. And now we have to reconcile that. And that is really hard. That is really, really hard. And you can throw money at some problems. You can throw consultants at problems. You can do all of that. But the people that work in this industry take a lot of pride in the business they work for and what they do. And um, myself very much included. And you want to know that you're working for a company whose the fabric of their soul is committed to one thing or another. And you're going to join the team that you most align with. And I'm not saying we have the best formula. I'm saying we have a formula to solve a problem and there are other formulas and it, it should be that way. Yeah. So yeah, as it pertains to listening, it's, it, that is a really, really hard challenge. I think to just give you a textbook answer would just make me a, sound like a rookie. That's really, ideal. <laughs> I'll tell you what, a lot of idealism gets beat out of you as you, you encounter real life and say, hey, this didn't happen like I read it. It was supposed to in a book. These results were supposed to happen this way. And and you got to find your path. And hopefully you do it through conversations like this with other leaders and you listen as well to what's worked for them. Yeah. The the world-renowned and uh, incredibly respected philosopher Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. Exactly. (laughs) And it's so true. Uh, (laughs) It's so true. Yeah, it is. It is. We're, we're wrapping up the show here. I know you've only sure. got a few minutes left. I want to respect your time. And you talked about we versus they, and you mentioned you strive for a we endeavor. So yeah. just very quickly, if you can, if yes. you can't, that's fine. Yeah. Can you define we versus they? And, and what does a we endeavor 
look like yeah. Yeah. for you? And then just some, maybe some hallmarks, like how do you, what are some ways that you can tell you've got a we culture? Are there specific things that, that you can look for and say, oh yeah, we're, we're getting this right. Or maybe we have work to go because we're not at this place yet. Yeah. So a we culture to me looks like a few things. Uh, number one, it, it looks like people are solving problems in such a great way that you're as a leader surprised, pleasantly surprised. That's a we culture. One thing we look at closely here is referrals because I think you can complicate things to try to make yourself feel better. But if people aren't referring your business to those around them, that's a pretty telltale sign that you got some stuff you need to work on. And that's a never ending challenge, but it's a, that is a we challenge and, and it's a we culture looks like referrals are happening. That's, I think that's a sign of help. I, um, I think a they culture is, is more isolationist and it's, we, it's, they don't understand this. It, there's, there's no curiosity anymore in, in those type mm. of environments. We've been through seasons like that. I know we have teams and philosophies that, that also are there right now and that's okay. But that's the work to be done that in leadership is to flip the they to the we. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, that's really important. So uh, they, it, it primarily to me looks like a more isolated mentality and and then and then it gets it grows roots when there's a sense of pride that we're doing it this way and they don't get it and and these little factions start (laughs) it's no one wins no one wins when when that's the case no one wins and there's not nobility in that even though it may feel like that near term yeah so trying to trying to address that is a big part of flipping they to we yeah you mentioned a couple of things that I thought were really important takeaways. I just wanted to like drill down on for our listeners. When you've got a good we culture, people are solving problems in a great way, such a good way that you as a leader are surprised. I love that. Yeah. Like, oh, I would never have come up with that, but that is so functional and so elegant. And yeah, I'm I'm on board. Like you're just excited yeah. about the solutions your team has come up with. And then getting referrals too. I think that's really, really key. You mentioned this earlier in the show, and I just wanted to ask as a follow-up, is a good sign of a we culture owning failure? Is that one of those hallmarks? Like we failed, not because it's so easy when the failures happen to they, right? To finger point. But is that healthy when you hear team members saying, oh, we didn't hit those numbers. Oh, we failed with that safety initiative. Oh, we, you know, whatever the case may be. A hundred percent. I mean, in our industry, it just goes without saying the area that is most dangerous in is pertaining to safety. It's, yes. it is, it is so dangerous. And that's, that's its own separate topic that I won't get into, but agreed. we are so passionate about safety. And that is, I can think of no topic that is more a we topic than that topic. Yeah. Because the cost of they is not a cost anyone wants to compl- contemplate paying. And so, yeah. yeah, that's that's extremely... Cost of they when it comes to safety is a funeral. That's like, that's exactly right. right. And it's, not, it's not pretty. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the only other thing I'll, I'll share on that that's kind of interesting that I've been reflecting on lately, and I'll... I'm calling it interesting when I'm the one reflecting on it. So you can determine for yourself. <laughs> it's, it's the way that 
I feel people's relationship with failure. You mentioned failure. Okay. We, we grew up in school and the structure in school is we give you the lesson and then we give you the test. And then you graduate from school and the way that life works is it gives you the test and then you learn the lesson. Mm. So your relationship with the test is critical and, and realizing that failure is an event, not a person. We all struggle yes. with our own issues deep down and we project those on whether we're willing to learn lessons or not. But um, I was at a uniquely dark time several years ago and I had a mentor of mine say, Phil, you need to understand failure is an event, not a person. If you're walking around constantly terrified of failure, then, then you have the wrong relationship ultimately with the test. And so you need to be committed to realizing that you're going to have a test and you're going to learn a lesson. And that's just part of the journey. And, and the more that you can make that a part of the culture of your business, I think, I think hopefully that lands the plan on your question. I think the better off yes. you are. And I'm speaking in what will sound like gross ideology here. Because it it is very <laughs> it is very idealistic, but I think yeah. that people need to understand the fabric and the heart and the soul of the leadership philosophy they're working for. And, and conversations like this are just critical to saying, "Here's where we're going. Let's reconcile where we are to where we're going with passion." Yeah, I love that, Bill. This has been just a tremendous, tremendous conversation. If listeners want to connect with you, learn more about what Integrity does, maybe they're listening to this, there's an Arborist out here listening that's looking for a new home. How would people reach out to you? Yeah, I would say LinkedIn is probably the easiest way, which I believe you're going to have a link to in the show notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that would be the easiest way to get a hold of me uh, most directly. And um, what I would just say to anybody who wants to talk more like this, I love conversations like this. I think it it makes us all better as an industry. And um, that's the best way to reach out and get in touch with me. As of August, we're uh, 100% employee-owned company. And so we're really excited about linking arms with others in the industry that want to solve problems with the formula that we're working on tweaking mm. uh, on a continual basis. And we may just have you back for another episode to talk about that as like a separate thing. Cause I think there's sure. a lot of people that would have interest in that. Um, yeah. I will also include a link to integrity trees website in the show notes. So feel free to uh, reach out to Phil uh, on LinkedIn, uh, check out their website, see if there's uh, anything that you have a question about, but Phil, this has just been a tremendous conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thank you for the questions. And I really appreciate the conversation as well. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks.